Thanks for joining us today. God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we want to hear about it. Take a second and send your story to amen at citychurchfl.org. And if you'd like to partner with this ministry financially, you can do that by going to citychurchfl.org slash give and select the giving option that works best for you. Once again, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. This morning we are here. We're here this morning as we always gather on Sunday to worship Jesus. And over the last four weeks as a congregation, we've committed ourselves to saying, God, we want to do your will in our generation. Our theme verse has been found in Isaiah chapter 58, verse number 12, where the Bible says the call of God upon our life is to raise up the foundation of many generations. This concept of generations is fascinating because in America, everything we do is about marketing. Everything we do is about selling product to a generation. And sociologists have defined generations in our culture really for the last probably 50 or 60 years. And they've labeled generations by the year or the time period in which people were born. And so if, if there is anybody in the room that was born pre-1945, you're part of the greatest generation. The greatest generation. The greatest generation was shaped by four things. You can put that picture up there of the greatest generation for me. I appreciate that. Thank you. But the greatest generation, and as all the generations in our time period, are shaped by four things. They're shaped by their family. Uh, they're shaped by the economic reality that they live in. They're shaped by technology. And they're shaped by world events. And the greatest generation was shaped by a world event called World War II. The more deaths took place in World War II than any time just about in human history in war. It was a violent war. It was a brutal war. America, we were engaged in the war with Japan. We were also engaged in the war with the, against the Axis, uh, against uh, uh, Germany and Italy and, and that part of the world with the, with the allied forces. And this generation was shaped by this. Their frugality and the way they viewed the world, they had just kind of come out of a Great Depression. And the greatest generation really stood strong. And today we speak English instead of German in the United States of America. Come on, amen. Give it up for the greatest generation. Uh, the next generation was born was the baby boomer generation. The baby boomer generation was from 1946 to 1963. Some marketers have actually broke this generation up into two different generations, but this generation was shaped by the economic boom that took place after World War II. And because of the freedoms that were afforded the people at that time, there, were, there was some, something that was happening in our culture. There was an upheaval against the, the, the values and the culture of the past, and the music began to change. The Ideas about freedom begin to change. Sexual mores begin to change. And this, gen this generation really championed the cause of me. It's all about me. Everyone say me. me. It's about, all about me, self-actualization, how I feel. The next generation is the millennium generation. The millennium generation was from probably 1964 to the early 1980s. And this generation was, was also shaped by the values. This generation actually started to go more back towards the, towards the right. They started seeing the value of being part of companies and building corporations and business and education. And then the generation that came after Generation X is Generation Y. Now, Generation Y was from probably mid-1980s to 1995. And Generation Y has been shaped by the things that took place in their culture. And what happened in Generation Y was 2011. 2001, 9-11-2001 took place during this generation. And they're shaped by it. Every generation is shaped by the things that took place. The generation that the sociologists or marketers 
call that we're living in today is Generation Z. Everyone say Generation Z. Generation Z has never not known computers. They've never not known cell phones. They were born connected. They've never not known uh, a social media, Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram. The Generation Z is a whole brand new generation. Now, here's what I know about every generation. Every generation has a need, and that need is a relationship with Jesus Christ. What never changes in every generation, no matter what generation they were born in, is the need to experience God's love and to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And at City Church, that is our commitment. We are committed to every generation. We're a generation of different nationalities, but we're also a, gen a church uh, generations of, uh, of, of every age group. And we're committed to that. This raise campaign over the last several weeks, you've heard the stories and the testimonies of people that have been impacted, young people that have been impacted here at City Church. And we are so grateful to the Lord for what he has done. But in the Bible, there's a man. There's a man that really helps us understand the value of raising up the next generation. His name is King David. Everyone say King David. King David, King David was a man, the Bible said, who had a heart after God. And when God looked across the land, the Bible said that there's a man whose name is David who was willing to do all my will. And the heart of David was to do the will of God in his generation. And that's my heart today. And that's the heart of this congregation, the heart of this church. The heart of this church is to do the will of God in our generation. And the will of God is to raise up next. Everyone say next. next. And so I'm going to challenge this this morning. I'm going to talk about who's got next. Who's got next? If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. I want to look at just a couple of passages of Scripture this morning. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. I'm going to look at verses 1, verses 1 through 3. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 1 and 3. And the Bible says, Then King David turned to the entire assembly and said, My son Solomon, whom God has chosen to be the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced, and the work ahead of him is enormous. For the temple he will build is not just another temple. It is a temple for the Lord God himself. It is a temple for the Lord God himself. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that in these next few moments... I thank you that our hearts will be open to hear from you. We thank you for your grace that's so amazing. We thank you that your name is beautiful, Jesus, that name which is above every other name. And I pray for every person in this room that they would have an ear to hear and an eye to see. I pray, Lord, that you'll help me this morning to communicate the simplicity of this truth that you have called us as a congregation and as a church community to raise and to reach next. God, we bless your people today. We thank you for the amazing grace that we've already experienced, what we're believing. Lord, we're going to leave this place changed in the power of your name. Amen. What I want you to see about a, a generation that's committed to next is the first thing is that a generation that's committed to next sets up the next generation sets up the next generation. In 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and 29, it recasts the story of David. It tells the story of this man and his great life. It tells about some of the battles that he won and the way that he was passionate for the worship of God. David loved God. David was a passionate worshiper of God. As a matter of fact, when we look at the life of David, we see that he was a poet. The guy loved to write poems. He loved to write psalms, but he was also a prophet. He had prophetic words for his generation. And beside that, he was a powerful warrior. 
David knew how to engage the enemy. From the time that he was a young boy, David learned the power of God in his life. From the time that he killed the bear with his bare hand and a lion with his bare hand till taking down Goliath with one single stone, David knew the power and the anointing of God. And he knew the power and the anointing of God because he spent time in the presence of God. That's why the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And David, as he finished, as he was coming to the end of his life, he wanted to leave a significant mark. He wanted to do something that was significant. And so David believed that it was time for him to set up the next generation. Everyone say set up. up. David had a lot of children, had a lot of sons. But there was one son that was called to follow David as king, and his name was Solomon. And when you look at the life of David, you see he has this bold vision. I mean, it's an incredible vision. The vision for David is not that, is not that people will, would come just to worship at a tent like they had done for hundreds of years. But David was going to build a building that would last for generations. For the people of God, they would come and worship at it. So David cast a clear vision of a preferred future for the children of Israel. The temple that he would build for the Lord, and it was the Lord's temple, would be magnificent. It would be one of the seven wonders of the world. There had never been built another building like the building that David was going to build. Someone once said leadership is the capacity to translate vision into reality. And David had a vision of a beautiful temple, a place where the people of God could come to worship. But he didn't just have a vision. He wanted to make that a reality. You know, we're, we're influenced in our community here in Central Florida by a man who had a vision. His name was Walt Disney. Walt Disney, he passed away many years ago. As a matter of fact, he died in 1966. He started Disneyland in the 1950s, and that was an incredible experience. I mean, because of Disneyland, Disneyland shaped America the way that they thought about entertainment, and really he began to produce movies that shaped the way America thought about culture and the family. But in the early 1960s, on a cocktail napkin in a restaurant, Walt Disney drew out an envisionary city, a city of the future. He would call it Epcot. In the 1960s, he drew this out on on a cocktail napkin, and he began to share with his team his desire to build this city. They looked around America where they could possibly put the location of this, uh, of this Epcot, this, this modern city that would revolutionize the way that cultures and communities lived. He couldn't think of a better place in Florida. So he came to Central Florida, and they started buying up acres, 47 square miles of property they bought, three different counties. And there Disney began to go to work, began to go to work on developing this model city. The thing is, is that Disney never got to see this city. Years later, when they dedicated Epcot, Walt's brother Roy was there. This was in the early 1970s, and one of the men that was with them, after they had the grand opening, turned over to Roy and said, Roy, isn't it too bad that Walt didn't get to see this? And Roy, without missing a beat, turned to the man and looked at him. He said, Walt did see this. That's why we're here today. See, that's the vision. David had a vision for a beautiful temple, but David knew if that vision was going to become a reality, he would have to set it up. But he had a problem. As a matter of fact, he had two problems. The first problem, that his son was not quite ready to become king. The Bible says that he was too young. The next problem that David had is that his son was inexperienced. He didn't have the experience to build a great building like this. And so David set himself to say, you know what? I'm going to prepare. I'm going to prepare myself to win. I'm going to prepare myself to succeed me as king. I want my ceiling to become his floor. 
every person in this room, that should be the dream. That should be the desire. That should be the destiny that God has put in your heart for the next generation. If you're a parent today, your desire, your dream, what you live for is to make your ceiling spiritually, financially, relationally the floor for the next generation. And David had that passion. David was bold about setting up the next generation. Colossians chapter 3 says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. You see, David knew that he was building a temple. He was building a temple, but it wasn't a temple for him. It was for the Lord. City Church, we're getting ready to build another educational wing for our children. And this educational wing is not for City Church. It's not for Pastor Eugene. It's not for the staff. It's for the next generation. You see, God's given us a mandate. God's given us a call to reach this community with his love and lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And we do that at City Church with our City Church Academy that's currently located over at Airport Academy, over, over at Airport Boulevard. When we build this building, we will build, bring the academy to this campus, and we're going to expand and give more room in this community to reach people for Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you the question, who's got next? Who's got next? The next thing that I want you to see is found in verse number 6 of 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Now the Bible says, who was willing to consecrate himself to the Lord today? Then the leaders of families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. You see, leaders stepped up. The leaders of the congregation, the leaders in David's generation stepped up to the challenge. And it was a challenge. What David was asking them to do was something that had never been done before. David was asking them to give in a way that they had never given before. And that's what leaders do. People that have the vision of God and the heart of God and the passion of God for for the next generation are willing to step up. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament about two men. Their names are Joshua and Caleb. And Moses had come to a place where God was about ready to take his people into the promised land. You see, they had been in slavery for 400 years. 400 years they had been under the tyranny and the bondage of Egypt. But God raised up a deliverer by Moses. And Moses took the children of Israel out of Egypt. And on the way to the promised land, they had a test. The test was would they believe that God would be able to take them out. You see, God just doesn't want to take you out of something. God wants to take you into something. It isn't just enough to be delivered from something. you got to be saved for something today. Hear me today. Come on, folks. Amen. God took the children of Israel from Egypt, but he had a better place, a promised land, a place that was flowing with milk and honey and abundance. And for the believer today, for the Christian today, when we come out of darkness, God translates us into his marvelous light. And Jesus said it is a place of abundance. The thief comes to steal. The thief comes to kill. The thief comes to destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. You see, there's an abundant life in Jesus And leaders understood that they were to step up so that the next generation could live the life that God had called them to. Out of the 12 spies that went into the promised land, into the land of Canaan that day, there were only two that believed. The 12 came back. Ten of them had a negative report. 
It's too hard. It's too difficult. The giants are too big. As a matter of fact, the way that they saw themselves was small and insignificant. I want you to hear this today. You are not small. You are not insignificant. If Christ is in you, the hope of glory, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God has set you up today. The Bible said God has called us as believers to be the head and not the tail. God calls you to rise above and not live beneath. You see, the fact is today there were only two men out of the 12 that actually believed that God was going to take them in. Their names were Joshua and Caleb. And you know what they said when they saw the task, when they saw the trial, when they saw the tribulation, when they saw the trouble that lay before them? They said, God is able. God is able to enable us to possess the land. And today God has called us to possess the land of his victory. Someone said amen. amen. And so they were unified. The people came together. Listen to what it says here. The commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds and officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. There was power and agreement. There was power and unity. In Psalms 133, the Bible says how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. God desires it. God desires for us as a congregation to be in unity, the vision, and the purpose. I love the rest of this verse. It talks about the anointing that came upon Aaron when he was consecrated to minister in the house of the Lord. And then it says, for the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. The reason City Church is where we are today is because we're a house of unity. When we made the decision as a church and a congregation to move from 650 Airport Boulevard to 1691 Orange Boulevard, we were in unity. And we saw God do a great work. The reason we saw God do a great work is because we believed. We believed that we are well able to possess the land. And today as a congregation, we believe that we are well able to raise the funds, to raise the funds to raise a generation so they may know the power and the purpose of God. Who's got next? Who's got next? The congregation has next. And then finally, I want you to see this. The leaders sacrifice up for the next generation. The leaders sacrifice up for the next generation. In 1 Chronicles 29, 7, the Bible says, They gave towards the work of the temple of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. For the construction of the temple of God, they gave 188 tons of gold, 10,000 gold coins, 375 tons of silver, the Bible says that anyone who had precious stones gave them to the treasury and the temple of the Lord and the custody of Jehiel the Gerashite. The, the leaders gave of their worldly wealth. I, I, I figured out this morning how much 10,000 tons of gold is worth at a market value of $1,200 today. Just in gold alone, they gave 663 million U.S. dollars to build this temple. Come on. Everyone said, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. That's just the gold. That's not the silver, the bronze, the precious stones. You see, the people, they gave of the worldly wealth. They didn't just talk a good game. Last week, I talked about generosity. There's a lot of people that talk a good game. But the fact is, we put our money where our mouth is. Jerry! Show me the money. <laughs> Show me the money. God says where your heart is, there your treasure will be. And the people's heart, the people's heart 
were willing to sacrifice for the next generation. They were willing not only to set them up, but they were willing to give of their financial resources. The, someone once said the level of a sacrifice that an environment requires will determine the size of the people that will follow. They gave willingly. They gave willingly. They went under compulsion. First Corinthians is very clear. We don't beg. We don't plead. We don't conjole. We just simply present the need. And then the people of God give willingly. The people of God, because God believe that God has put it in their heart. And then verse number 9, it says, The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Oh, you see, when the giving came, there was such a release of God's favor. God loves it when his people get his vision. God loves it when his people give sacrificially. God loves it when we give of our time. God loves it when we give of our talents and our treasures. He loves it. God is pleased with us as a congregation today. The presence of God was so real that it elicited a response of worship and elicited a response of praise from the people and from the king. This last Sunday night, a group of our leaders, we had about 90 people meet. The administrative leaders of the church, the deacons, Sunday school teachers, the committed people of this congregation we met. And we came together, and I shared this vision, and I shared this story. And at the end of this last Sunday night, of the 90 people that were attendants, there were 53 people that made pledges towards this next step, raising up the next generation, building the building. Do you have a picture of the building that we're going to be building? Can you put that up for me there? There's just a picture of the classroom there. You can't. But anyway, this is a 12,500-square-foot building, state-of-the-art. It's going to be made of tilt-up concrete. It's going to be a beautiful building. But those 53 pledges committed $663,519. Come on. Can you give God a great big hand? 53, 53 families said yes. Today, $11,620 in cash has come in. That night, when we received those pledges, there was a praise. There was a shout. There was worship that went up before God. Because, see, the leaders of City Church believe that we are called to step up. We believe that we are called to set up. And we believe that we're called to sacrifice up for the next generation. Everyone say, this isn't about me. This isn't about me. This, isn't about me. this is not about me. This is not about Eugene Smith. This is not about building buildings. This is about raising the next generation, raising the foundations of the next generation so that the next generation can know the love and the grace of God in their life. And because you're going to give, in just a moment, you're going to be challenged to do the same thing. You're going to be challenged as a congregation. Some of you here for the very first time, and we're not expecting you to be a part of this. You just get to celebrate with us. You get to celebrate what God is doing in this church. But some of you, in just a few moments, you're going to be challenged to make your pledge and bring your best cash offering. We've been talking about it for the last three weeks. But I want you to check out this video of someone who's been raised. Someone in this church who's been raised are next. Watch us now. So I was asked to help out with one of our girls' clubs. Um, those are classes that we have on Wednesday night for children. And we separate the boys and the girls. And I taught prims, which was first and second grade girls. I can remember one evening, Miss um, Maida came up to me and was so excited. She said, there's this girl I want to bring in class. Her name's Marie. And I, she introduced me to her. And she was going to start coming to my prims class. It wasn't very long before 
I just had a special place in my heart for Marie. My name is Bruce Allen Scott, and I'm here with my wife, Maida Scott, and Marie Woods, and we are the godparents of Marie. Marie first came into our life uh, as a newborn. Uh, her grandmother lived in our complex, and her grandmother became her guardian and brought her home from the hospital. And from that very first day, uh, we've been a part of Marie's life. We lived right up the street from the airport campus. And so we would all walk and, and play games on the way and sing songs. She had church in her life from her grandmother um, of growing up. She's always been in the church, but, they, but, but it wasn't directed to the youths primarily. And so uh, that's what I wanted. Marie and she she gained and, and built a relationship with Jesus and and saw him and could talk to him every day as a person between um, the different role models she had at church she would just go out her way to help people I, I would pick up on that I wouldn't ask um, for people to clean up afterwards and she would just have this servant's heart at such a young age and um, a lot of times in first and second grade my girls they're very timid to pray if I ever asked anyone to pray, Marie would. She was there, she wanted to learn, she wanted to come to the sleepovers we had. She just, she was a sponge. She chose to be baptized, um, and um, she's um, intimately involved with uh, city kids and city ministry. Um, she readily, um, readily um, assists with uh, Pastor Kristen with the um, city kids. Uh, she's part of a worship team. She actually aspires to be Pastor Christian. Yeah, she's my <laughs> real model. She, um, at our other campus, while we're putting away groceries, because I will pick up the food for the, for the school, um, while we're doing that, she will be on the stage and have the mic in hand and doing all of the motions and acting out like she is actually preaching to kids' church. And it is the most amazing thing I've ever seen <laughs> because she can actually <laughs> preach. It's, it's amazing. She's even gone as far as ministering in her home. Um, her mother was just baptized this morning and has joined the church. And that, I never thought that would ever happen. And so um, I think that she wants to be all that she can be formally. And um, God is just doing great works. He is just, he's just taken her and, and, and even her friends, people in her peer group um, that don't necessarily come to church every day. Um, they're watching Marie. They're watching her and they listen to her. And she's always uplifting in her conversation. She's a bold, bold young lady yeah. for Christ. Because yeah. I feel like backstage, and not really doing anything for God. She really don't feel him with you at that moment. So City Church really embrace the study and the backstage person. Be like motivated to do stuff for God. So I really got that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if she does become a, a youth minister, I have a lot of um, gratefulness to Pastor Christian. She knows what she wants to be at a very young age, and that's something that I didn't have when I was growing up. She aspires to be at City Church College, and um, I don't know, God is just doing such great works. It's, it's just amazing, it's mind-blowing, actually, sitting back and watching. I know where my money is going, and I know where 
the others who contribute their money to City Kids. Marie is a product of that, and uh, she's become a bold uh, woman for building the kingdom of God. So if you're a giver, uh, I encourage you uh, to uh, give so that we can have many, many more Marie's um, to um, build up the kingdom of God. Amen. This time we're going to uh, prepare our hearts for the Raise Campaign offering. And uh, if you were there Sunday night at the dinner, I'm going to have you just put your name and put you already pledged on there. And you're going to turn that in in just a moment. If you haven't had an opportunity, this is our opportunity. And what's going to happen here in just a moment, Keith is going to come up and he's going to explain this card. I'm going to go down and join my wife and we're going to lead the way. The, uh, as a senior pastor, my wife and I have committed significantly to this campaign. We're going to lead the way in this, and then the, the pastors, and then the advisor team, and the deacons, and then the church congregation members, you're going to come after that. And so, Keith, if you can come and explain what's going to take place. <laughs> 